welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter. You're the co-host. Welcome to our December episode, everybody. You know, like we always planned. And if you think otherwise, you just got confused. It's fine. It happens all the time. Listen, guys, we'll help you work past this problem and distract yourself with a nice episode. Exactly. Uh, you know, Peter and I were planning on kind of resetting ourselves uh, for our January episode, and it just turns out that we're doing it for our December episode instead. So you have our deep, sincere apologies, but we're really going to try to um, kind of get back on the horse, as it were, and be at least something uh, resembling a regular release schedule now. Yep. We have the best intentions. <laughs> we do. And we have a, uh, we think to kind of further that goal, we're going to just, we're going to shoot for one episode next month. I know we usually do a bonus episode. Um, maybe we'll be able to sneak that in later. But we're just going to do one episode next month just as a. Uh, Not over promising. Nice, right. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to over promise and under deliver, we're just going to do it to one episode and not to two. You know? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, maybe, maybe we can even deliver. Time will hold tell. <laughs> hold your horses there, seats. Hey, we've delivered before, Peter. It's happened. We did, we did it for so long. We didn't have a child. I mean, I didn't have a child. There was no children involved before. Yeah, that was weird phrasing, seats. <laughs> um. So that that's, that's a bit of a wrench, and also just uh, you know, life excuses, excuses. But... Yeah, I knew one way or another Albo would ruin your podcasting career. <laughs> it was going to happen, so he just took a weird route. Yeah, um, he had a child with you. That's kind of extreme. He's committed to ending this. <laughs> he's actually our first listener, and he's very disgruntled about it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, All right. He doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, he definitely doesn't. No one we know listens to our podcast. Thank God. <laughs> God, we're gonna te- we're gonna get a text next week. Like, hey, listen to the app. Kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of a lot of shade, lot of hate, I guess. A lot of shade towards your friends that listen to this podcast. Yeah, our family's so unsupportive. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there is a lot to talk about. Oh yes. Um, Heaven's Rare. It was. I thought it was really good. To me, it had a few of like the sort of. Um, uh, I guess I would say weaknesses in Taylor's writing, which is sort of like, in my opinion, a very human perspective on aliens. You know, I felt, I always feel like the aliens in his universe are a little bit uncanny valley in terms of like, he's like, Oh look, like their biology is different and blah, blah, blah. And like, he does this thing and I appreciate it cause it helps you get a picture, but it also is sort of a double-edged sword where he's like, yeah, they kind of look like otters with beaks. And then in my brain, I'm just like otters, huh? And then I just picture otters through the whole book. <laughs> right, I for- keep forgetting they had beaks. I know. It like, was it just like mentioned towards like, oh, the yeah. end. It's, it's like very unsettling to think about otters with beaks actually. So maybe that's also why I ejected that particular detail, but. It's really unsettling to think about their young looking like straight up badgers. <laughs> yes. God, with beaks. Yeah. They can make that, Peter. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. So, so my I, brain, they're I, badgers and otters. I see what you mean about the whole, like, it seems to, A, like get a, a mental image stuck in your head, but also B, like, it kind of seems devaluing. Like what do you other, mean? This other intelligent species, and he's like, yeah, let's just compare it to this, like, 
dumb animal from Earth. <laughs> well, to be fair, Earth only has dumb animals. It's not like we can compare it to a different Humans included. species. <laughs> no, but we only have the one to think about. I, uh, sorry. And, like, uh, what are the other ones? The Pav, I always picture as, like, ferrets. Pretty strictly. The only ones I, who I have, like, a, a sort of non-Earth equivalent picture of are the others. Yeah, that's true. Which makes and sense. We don't really get a good, solid depiction of them in the first place. Like, they're like... We have a vague kind of how they described it when they were using Sadar on their ship. Right, it's like a sketch almost. Yeah, but we never got like a, oh, they're this color. Like, yeah. Like, that, because they just got a Sadar scan. Oh, but, but I, th- I just think that it sort of adds to, like, the, um... The otherness? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I almost wonder if it's a deliberate choice where he, like, kind of wants aliens who are, at some point or another, allies of the Bobs and humanity to be, um, like, for lack of a better word, kind of cuddly and familiar, like, and that's why he's sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, they kind of look like weasels, and, like, it makes it seem less threatening for it to be something that you can um, compare I to something that's not threatening on Earth. I wonder if it's an attempt to distinct... Okay, so I acknowledge that this is from, like, a a fictional book. But um, (laughs) it's a great comparison anyway. I wonder if he's trying to draw a distinct line between the Raman and the Varels. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is kind of, historically speaking, in the context of the book, what has happened. Right, like, there is this friend... Like, you know, the species in court can be friend or foe, but, like, in general, are people that are not totally alien and are understandable by the bobs right and by extension humanity and then there's the others who like they're pro- they have this weird you know insect-like motivation and yeah. nothing in its way matters so it will eat and consume and destroy until it has what it wants and that's a very alien to most humans right i mean for for listeners who don't know that's a concept from um orson scott card speaker of the dead and I think that, um, I mean, it's like a hierarchy hierarchy of intelligence. Is that what they called it? I'm not sure. Or hierarchy uh, of foreignness. Yeah. It's basically the idea of, like, Raman are peoples of another species, but, like, that can be reasoned with and communicated with. And, like, like Peter said, they can be friend or foe. They don't have to be your friend, but you can understand their motivations and they can understand yours. Whereas we also have, like, completely incomprehensible motivations. And you are equally incomprehensible to them, and there's no, like, communication or understanding possible to be reached. Right, and therefore there is no peace. Right. Like, it is a, one must survive, and the other cannot. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's actually a really good point, Peter. I-, I wonder if that's, like, a deliberate narrative choice, or if it's just sort of something he stumbled into, but it- that's a good way of framing it. Because it's always kind of bugged me a little bit about his books. <laughs> I'm like, his aliens just aren't that alien. To me, like they ask that act very human. They're all like, all like all I say is that there are multiple. It's really just the Pav and the um, and the uh, Quinlans, but they're like mammals the Deltons. who reproduce sexually. Oh yeah, the Deltons, uh, who look like pigs. <laughs> Pig bats, please. Pig bats. Uh, well, I wonder if that's kind of a commentary on in Taylor's universe. It is the intelligent life trends towards mammalian. And, I mean, that could be... We have no idea. We have, uh, Again, we have a sample size of one. But 
that could be the case, and it is more unlikely for intelligence to develop in other genuses. But that Jesus just implies that that the same biological hierarchy, more or less, exists on every planet. And it's like, the mammals won't look the same, but everywhere, well, not every planet, but every, like, life-harboring planet has mammals. And that just seems, like, kind of limited to me. You mean from a creativity standpoint or from a likelihood of biological development? Both. Well, I mean, I mean it, I'm not a xenobiologist. I don't really know what they speculate about. I should I mean, read that's some fair. xenobiology papers, actually. I bet they're fascinating. <laughs> Put that on my to-do list of things I'll never read, but want to. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, prob- probably Orion's arm, let's be honest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Uh, not unlikely. Stormaker. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, mammals are very, very, very complex and our complexity has allowed us to achieve intelligence, but that doesn't mean that you can't achieve intelligence a different way. We don't know. There's just so much we don't know. There is an interesting principle in this book when discussing the topic of AI that uh, Hugh brought up, where it is not like intelligence, that, that spark of a self has as far as they could tell as far as taylor's fiction and again obviously all this is just fiction (laughs) uh complexity does not necessarily lead to intelligence you can have a very complex light like brain like humans have an, an impressively complex brain or size does not necessarily lead to intelligence like there are life there are animals that have larger brains than humans Definitely. But like it is some level of some connection that's made in the brain that all of a sudden sparks a self. So in theory, if a um, you know a life form with a much smaller, more simplistic brain had that spark, maybe their potential for intelligence is lower. But like as far as sentience is concerned, like that's a whole different thing. Like they could totally be sentient at a much simpler level if you know fewer dead ends or fewer less extraneous kind of brain equipment was evolved so to hark back to another book we've covered um as we were actually just talking about children of uh time so the um the types of spiders like the jumping spiders that he bases the porsches on mm-hmm they are actually like very intelligent like they they <laughs> i went down like a rabbit hole of youtube videos of um like hunting behavior and they they like hunt strategically you can see them like assessing a situation and like coming up with a creative way to like attack it so i think that it's a matter of like the complexity of the neural connections and not the number of them like you said i mean there's animals with bigger brains obviously because they have bigger bodies so they've got more body to control that's a lot of what your brain does it's not the only thing but it does take up space to control your big body so right um yeah no i I definitely don't think that it's required and i mean it's definitely i think a trope in sci-fi to have like hive minds and things because if you can have multiple different organisms that are connected then I don't know that there's a reason that that couldn't spark a, a self. We'll look at Children of Ruin. Yeah. Like I don't actually remember, think of they're ever named. Don't think they're ever named. But like the Travelers, I think is the closest thing they have to them. Or like the Interpreters. But the, the yeah. microbes that, that form a networked intelligence 
definitely because they all are capable of storing and processing information at a small level and communicate with each other easily yeah so absolutely. there are there are certainly or examples the ants that they use as computers that's true too yeah although it's an open question as to whether or not they ever actually are sentient or if they're just intelligent uh what the travelers or the the, the ants? ants no i think that they treat them as intelligent but not sentient otherwise it would be really fucked up the way they use them that's true well like if you look at like a um like a computer processor i mean that's essentially what the ants are right the ants are processors because as we discussed right as we discussed then the ants are the biological equivalent of computers because that's the technological rabbit hole that the porsches went down yeah so it's an important distinction between intelligence and sentience i think that i think that's definitely true um we haven't actually covered the book, but that's a very major theme or plot point of a few of the uh, Old Man's War series. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure if you've, you haven't read the other ones, have you? I haven't read more in that series now. Well, there's an example of a species in that series that it's a created species and it has intelligence, but it doesn't have sentience. And their behavior is eerie. Yeah, I bet it would be. Very uncanny, right? Yeah. I mean, really, it's like it's having a conversation robot. with Siri, I guess. Or Alexa. Yeah. If, like, Siri was the best, or Alexa, or, you know, name digital assistant here, was, like, the best chatbot in the world. <laughs> not Bixby. No, not Bixby. Never mind, <laughs> not that one. It was nothing like Bixby. <laughs> <laughs> Bixby, Bixby is, like, talking to yourself in a room. Bixby's gonna kill us all for making fun of him. <laughs> I mean, you're probably not wrong. On that note, do you want to talk about the paperclip want... problem? Yes, please. Excellent segue. Bixby, well, go you. make paperclips. <laughs> no, you killed us all. So, so the... would you like to introduce this concept? Sure. So they talked a fair bit in the book about the paperclip problem. Um, it ends up, exp- it's very not, not actually explained in and of itself, but the paperclip problem is kind of what Annick's behavior is based off of and where his, where the Quinlan society as a whole ended up. So it's essentially what it is, is if it's kind of a philosophical AI question of if you told an AI, you, you create this an AI, a true AI and said, make paper clips that could lead to an apocalyptic scenario, <laughs> the end times. Because that AI is going to do whatever it takes to make paper clips. And if people try to stop it because it's taking up too much resources, then it might, you know, fight you the humans. You can turn into paper clips, son. <laughs> you can, oh, I see a little iron in that blood, huh? You're going to turn into paper clips. No one said you can't make paper clip out of bone. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, my flesh paper clip. Oh, God. <laughs> it doesn't work very well. It's so wet. It's really bad. It's so wet and soft. It doesn't hold its shape. It's okay. There's no one left to use the paper clips. You didn't tell me to make good paper clips. You said make paper clips. That's <laughs> actually that's another scenario though. Like, <laughs> maybe you had the right limiters in place, but it just said make paper clips, and the AI made the cheapest, crappiest paper clips it could possibly make. And now all your iron is gone. <laughs> right, and now the Your world's iron is spent. We make it out of. And um, and we and all we have is this pile of shitty paper clips. I wonder if you could, like, steal some of the paper clips and melt them down and use them for something else, or if the AI would kill you for that. <laughs> yeah, it might kill you for well, that. Well, if you don't tell the AI to preserve paper clips... That's true. So, like, that that's... 
so that's the whole idea, right? Like there, it's very, it's funny when you hear it said, paperclips will lead to an apocalypse, but like very quickly, especially if you've ever read a sci-fi novel that includes AI as a prominent plot device, it can very quickly devolve into any number of scenarios that involve the world ending. Yeah, I mean the the concept of what Anik did to the Quidlins is not a new one. We've seen that before in sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't that the whole... This is like <laughs> glaring gaps in my sci-fi knowledge, especially with movies, but isn't that the... Um, is it the Terminator that's about that? Uh, I mean, sure. Skynet. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's yeah, what Skynet sure. is, right? Yeah, Skynet's like Skynet. supposed to supposed to protect humans. Yeah, Skynet like... was like a monitoring and protecting humans thing. Like, that's basically how every AI-driven plot works. Like, oh, it had this noble initial purpose, and then it right. devolved into killing humans. There had to be a reason to uh, that humans gave the AI so much power, and they thought that they were going to do a good thing and make life better, but it then spins out of control because we're humans and we're limited, and we just didn't think of the right parameters. And problems like this actually add fear to the fact that, you know, right now, today, we have AIs running that are written by other AIs. Yeah. And, like, well, on one hand, you know, let's not be fear-mongers. That's an incredibly powerful and potentially useful tool. For sure. I mean, and then the really fascinating part is when they they try to, you know, look at this AI's code and try to figure it out and, like, are seeing code used in ways never thought of. And, like, or, like, even just un not understandable. Like, humans just can't figure out how th- this worked. Hmm. Uh, some of it's really fascinating. There's also that example of two AIs that developed their own language and communicated, and humans couldn't crack it. Now, they were, like, Facebook AIs, by the way. They were not, like, at some government lab. That Yes, exactly. Which is why I'm kind of like, there's, maybe there's too many people messing with it. I, like, I, I agree, I don't want to be a fear monger, but I am kind of scared about it. It's something that should be approached with caution. I mean, like, nuclear power... It's an incredibly powerful tool, but, like, let's not kid ourselves. It can be dangerous. Right, if you are careless about it. Right. And so I think AI needs to be presented the same way. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think you're not wrong. It's it's sort of like, and very much like nuclear power, it's probably going to be something that we more and more can't ignore and, like, will be a building block of the future, but we, uh just need to be extremely cautious and not and not in like a race about it like crispr yeah exactly it, it's an incredibly powerful tool anyone that knows anything about you know genetic engineering i guess is the phrase for that yeah like can tell it's going to be an insanely big part of the future but um people shouldn't be selling home hack kits to make your skin glow <laughs> right this is not necessarily going to go well if you don't have the proper like training and understanding. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I uh, I did I found Anik very likable though, <laughs> for what it's worth. Yeah, I did think the portrayal of Anik was very interesting, and it was fascinating that it was interesting how Taylor chose to portray an AI. That was actually an AI and not just a bot repli- like a human replicant. Yeah, because it had 
humanity to it, for lack of a better word, like a sense of humor and um, curiosity. Yeah, it was very clearly sentient. But the and the other interesting thing is that we saw from the interactions with the Quinlans that Quinlans, like in their you know behavior and their interactions with other people, are very much human like. Yeah. And, very angry humans. Right. Like and we humans see, in 2020. Yeah. Angry humans with claws. <laughs> and beaks. And beaks. Don't forget the beaks. I wish I could. And arm webbing. <laughs> so the... But what's cool with Anik is that he was like very clearly something else. He wasn't... He looked. He to- chose a Quinlan avatar, but he was clearly not Quinlan. Yeah, I agree. It was cool that they did him that way. And it's just like, well, he has a sense of humor. Sure, he has a sense of curiosity. He chooses to believe certain things, like that he has a soul. But yeah, he's not Quinlan. Well, I mean, he couldn't have been. Because, like, didn't they... <clears throat> if I recall correctly, it's been a minute since I finished this, but it, it wasn't the whole idea of creating Anik to, like, help save the Quinlans from themselves? Yeah, I mean, they created... They had advanced AI technology, and the whole point was, like, look, um, you are the administrator of the station, and it wasn't, like, the Quinlan creators never had the intention of, oh, let's bring all Quinlans back to the Steam Age. That's the paperclip problem in this book. Right. He was created to administer the station and had, like, the directive of, like, protect the Quinlan race. Right. And he's like, well, they suck to each other, so Steam Age it is. <laughs> You were just not allowed to have a lot of access. You're going to be very far apart from each other. Right, and I can put you anywhere on this billion-mile-long stretch. Why do they make it so big? <laughs> weren't they planning, they were like, this is going to be our, our like rational Quinlan utopia, and then the Quinlans ruined their planet, and they were like, fine, come on over. Yes. They were like really planning for the future there if they like swallowed up an entire planet's worth of resources and turned them into the Topopolis. Well, I don't think they did that from the start. Like, the topo- uh, the advantage of the Topopolis design is that you can add on to it as time goes. So, I imagine um, Anik was doing that. He was like, well, uh, there's... Okay. Yeah, I might as well expand the Topopolis if it doesn't add any real difficulty to anything else. And I have time. Like, nothing's going on. I'm not using these resources for anything else. <laughs> So as I mine stuff and clean up the solar system, because he was cleaning up all like the spray debris, yeah, he was building sections. Might as well add to the topopolis. right? And now oh, when you need, a, when you need to scatter places, you can just put them in the new place. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I um I thought it was interesting that there were there was like legend of different types of climates, and nobody ever like went to them. So I think that there was probably a lot of topopolis when um when he started to have to like institute the scatterings and things like that and sort of start to regress them. Um, I mean, sure. But also maybe it was 10 segments away. Like think about the dark ages. Yeah, true. Where like people didn't travel and this is, seems to be a more mobile society like for at least a small class of people, but like, it's very easy to become like a deckhand on on a boat and go do that. And like, you can work your way pretty quickly across a lot of distance. But most yeah. people are content just to, like, stay in their town or go find an undeveloped area and, like, start a little homestead and all that stuff. I wish sabbaticals were, like, a thing in human society. Or, like, I guess I should not be so ignorant. An American <laughs> society. 
<laughs> like my personal society. I'm sure right. there are cultures that would do something like that, but I mean, it's basically a gap year. Yeah, but it's like one that everybody does. Right. If it was like a a socially mandated gap year. And like I know it's a lot more common in other countries than in America. But um yeah, I don't know. It, a gap year wasn't something I even considered when I graduated high school. Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, like, real quick, just talk about the Matryoshka brain uh, while we're Please. on the topic of AI. Yeah, for sure. I mean, mostly it's just, like, a really fascinating concept. Did we figure out where Anik lives? Uh, Sorry, just thinking about, like... No, I don't think so. He's just somewhere... He probably has, like, a huge, like, data center in... Uh, like one of the mountains yeah or like a couple of them even i mean maybe although now you're talking about issue he probably has lots of data centers but i bet anik is only in one mountain you're probably right because there's lag right between the mountains right the matryoshka brain works because of scott you know live communicate like real-time communication over theoretically infinite distance you know with relays yeah, because I was reading a little bit about it, and I understood uh, what I took away from it is that it's like there's sort of two ways to approach that problem, and the one is to maximize like uh, speed of data transfer, like by having um, like layers really close to each other. But in the uh, in the case of the Matryoshka brain, it's to maximize energy efficiency. But if you have SCUT, then you can do both. Right. One of the biggest problems with computing, it's like, interesting. Like I do this as my my day job is uh, I do a lot of work with data centers and they use cold water to move heat out of the data center floor because the uh, compute density of a data center is so massive that regular heat management solutions wouldn't work. It's like if you've ever been in a room that's closed with no HVAC with a powerful computer, eventually the room gets warm. (laughs) But imagine way more powerful computers, way more densely packed, Stacks and stacks and stacks. Right, of them. stacks and stacks, like super dense compute applications. Yeah. So pulling heat out of a computer is one of the biggest issues with uh, commercial server work. I mean, obviously, it's like an issue for like a personal computer too. You know, uh, any computer nerd will know. Like, you put a lot of thought into the cooler that you use for your processor, but it becomes a whole new scale of issue. I mean, like the cooling units we work with, their cooling capacity is measured in megawatts. Not in, me- in not in watts, <laughs> and we'll put like twelve of them for one data center. Wow! So like, there is massive heat output from these things. It'd be great if you could use it to power more computers. Pivot, Matryoshka brain. <laughs> right. So the the great idea is if you can spread all the heat out and just radiate to the environment. It's actually weirdly hard to radiate energy in space, like heat, because there's no air. Right. It's all thermal radiation right it's not a thought that i would have had yes there's you know as many may know there's three types of ways that heat energy is transferred conduction convection and radiation and radiation is the least efficient so but it's the only option right so you you might go like well it's really cold in space so i bet everything stays i bet everything trends towards cold (laughs) but it's the other way around really not if it's got nowhere to go (laughs) yeah exactly so that's why I thought it was interesting that they talked about the massive um, heat radiators on the back of the Topopolis. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Um, oh. But with the Matryoshka brain, yes. they use, it's basically like 
encapsulated Dyson spheres. Like the Matryoshka, like the Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> um, right, a series of them, right? Yeah, so like the innermost one will capture all of the sun's heat and use it to power its computing. And then all of its waste heat will travel out to the next sphere and it will use all of the waste heat from the inner, more inner sphere to make like do its computing and then th- that race heat goes out to the next sphere and it's just like uh like an incredibly incredibly efficient like not a single bit of energy goes to waste system yeah it's one of those type two civilizations yeah yeah and i just i it's really hard for me to conceptualize why you would need a computer that big i mean it it's so one of the things I thought was very interesting in talking about the idea earlier, we're like, well, it's not all about just scaling size and complexity to develop AI. Sometimes it's a whole different path. The, mm. But like here, the Skippies are sitting here with this ridiculously, unfathomably powerful computer that like chews through code and does huge audit, like find security issues, like all these things. Mm. whatever you need hacks things no problem but it's not sentient and it's just like it it seems like a very obvious wrong tree scenario for developing ai like true ai like well <laughs> if we just make it bigger but even then i totally you... see what you're saying like just they're they're just assuming that if they keep adding complexity they will achieve sentience right, eventually it'll spark and they'll be like hi i'm jim <laughs> it's in a weird way the like thousand monkeys typing on a thousand typewriters method of yeah, achieving AI. It's so true. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> and you're dead on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that is interesting. I didn't think about that because I mean, obviously, that's not necessary because Anik is a true AI and they don't have anything like that. Yeah, I, I mean, they're just radiating the heat out into space. Right, but I can see that that leap. Like I can see that. Well, they're they're generating power from that. Well, okay, fair enough. But you're right. It's not powering like a, a massive compute unit. Like theoretically, yes. Anik is a relatively low energy cost on that ship, that station. Right. Because I mean, like you said, if Anik can be contained literally within one of those mountains, like those mountains are big, but they're not sun big. Right. Unless we're talking like. <laughs> That one of the segments, or like, is Anik. Like, Anik has a segment. Like, but realistically, Anik probably is under one of those mountains. And as Anik pointed out when he was talking about the like the path to true AI, he's like, yeah, it's not like a complexity thing. It's a like you have to have the right ingredients kind of from the start. Hmm. But um, yeah, I thought it was interesting when he was talking about that how it's a recursive kind of evolutionary process rather than just a raw programming process. Right, you can't just make a bigger and bigger computer and get it. Right, you have to f- force the the model to evolve. There's a lot of um, there's a very interesting YouTube dive you can go on at UCC and you everyone else about <laughs> learning models and about training AIs. Mm. And there's a lot of really fascinating ways to do it, and like different models that are used, just like you know normal ones that like any person can go and theoretically learn how to work with it's a it's very fascinating where like all these self-learning models and obviously they're not real ai but like you can see a point it's it's clear to me to see that point where we're talking about this like little program that learns how to you know play pac-man and 
something like that with some sort of like really basic base, which is the right ingredients, could eventually force itself to develop into sentience. Well, I mean, it's exactly like teaching a child. Like, you know, I I sit in the mirror with Theo and I go like, "Mama's nose, Theo's nose," and like, it's it's like these dumb little connections that eventually lead to full conscientiousness and like awareness. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's very, it's very easy to think that, um, you could teach an AI in much the same way. It if, almost, like you said, that, that essence is there. It almost seems like that's the more clear answer than we can definitely hard program an AI. Yeah. Like we could, we could through raw programming, get an AI. It seems like the, like learning models would be the path. Yeah. Anyway. All right. It's interesting though. Let me see. I, I one of the things I kind of enjoyed about this book was like <laughs> like Taylor, he's such a I say this with love, like such a colossal nerd that he just mentions these things offhandedly, but like doesn't really explain them that much. He's like, Yeah, Matroshka Brain, it's like a very big hot AI <laughs> and you're like, Oh what? Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> And you you have to like go off to like the nerdiest quarters of YouTube to figure out more about it. <laughs> but I I appreciated that. Yeah, it's um, it did send me into some nerdy corners of YouTube, and I'm all about that life. <laughs> it's, it was it was very entertaining. It was, it was like talk. It was really offhand because it was like yeah, we even have a group trying to build a Matryoshka brain anyway, and like that was it. <laughs> You know what though, but like this, he did the same thing though with pop culture references, and that irritated me. Like he's like, well, we call them the Skippies, and then he had a character be like, oh, because, and they're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, because what? Oh yeah. Why are they called the Skippies? I know. I never. I actually never looked into that. Uh, there's a there's an AI that's a beer can called Skippy in something. What? I forget what specifically. Okay. Hang on. I think I might still have the page up. No, I don't. <laughs> oh. We'll never know. <laughs> Look it up, people. It was like the TV tropes page. Um, talked about it. Okay, interesting. Right, yeah, that uh, you're right. That does annoy me. But with the, but with like tech and like science fiction or like just science theory stuff, it's like, oh, hello, a rabbit hole. Here <laughs> yeah, I go. It's very cool. It's very exciting and fun. You like clear your schedule for the evening so you can stay, spend the whole night on Wikipedia. <laughs> You've got the baby, right? I'll I'll be here. <laughs> Googling all about brains. <laughs> Well, and you went on a deep dive with megastructures, right, Peter? Oh, yeah. So I, I've kind of done this before. So it wasn't totally new to me. And megastructures are something that's come up a lot in books we've covered. Yeah. So I we, love megastructures, man. There was a Dyson Swarm in um, the previous books for the others. We've talked mm-hmm. about Ringworld in Ringworld. This um, book had some, like, Ringworld echoes, by the way. Uh... Yeah, it's like the yeah, civilization. You're like, did. how did you get here? And they're like regressing. It's like if Ringworld actually had people on it. <laughs> yeah, basically. Ringworld did though. They were just like savages, right? I did. Never mind. No, they were like. <laughs> we're not gonna go down this line. They? I think they were just I like have... biological robots. They were. I am clearly misremembering that book. But anyway, go on. I'm misremembering that book. I think I have to reread Ringworld. Anyway, apparently. So there's some really like fascinating and like okay i could see this kind of thing like um you know like the oh my god just forgot what it was called the name of the thing in here in this book 
I'm going to say O'Neill Cylinder because it's the only one whose no, name I know. Oh, Topopolis, Topopolis, the one in this book. Yes. Oh, okay, but O'Neill Cylinder, right? I, I know talked two. about those too. <laughs> yeah, um, what is that? That's uh, Raman. Uh, Rama. Raman. <laughs> Ron David with Rama. Uh, yes, Rama was... Oh, you're, you're totally right about Ringworld. Rama was what I was remembering. Oh. No. <laughs> That's my bad. Yeah, you were dead on. <laughs> um... But yes. yeah, Ronnie Ruth Rama. I, hell, Interstellar has an O'Neill cylinder. That's what I was going to say thinking of. So yeah, uh, they like we've come across these. We come across these all the time. There mm. is one that's very interesting to me called an Alderson disc. Alderson disc. <laughs> this shit's okay. ridiculous. Is it like a satirical mega structure, or is it like an actual proposed mega structure? I mean, aren't they all satirical? <laughs> no. <laughs> I would say that. I don't think they are. I think the only one that's like, oh, this is a legit good idea, impossible idea is an O'Neill cylinder. Like, I well, think yeah, that's because it doesn't only... have to go around the sun. That's like the, the only feasible does. one. I mean, I guess the Topopolis could go around a planet, and then it would be like feasible. Oh man. Anyway, um, especially the Topopolis and Interstellar, because they're like, I don't know, six hundred feet across. Like, they're not very big. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so no, an Alderson disc is hilarious because it's like a, like a platter that has a hole in the center where the sun goes. <laughs> and it's flat. <laughs> just like Earth. <laughs> just, it's, it's so ridiculous. And it's like, yeah, the inside That's of dumb. The... How do you generate gravity? I don't know. You don't? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm assuming that if you're building an Alderson disc, you have some manner of artificial gravity. Why would you like? <laughs> <laughs> the inside will have. Why walls. do you need a mega structure then? That just seems <laughs> very dumb. It seems like such a ridiculous. Like, if you're gonna build a mega structure, why would you pick this one? Uh, scientists have estimated <laughs> All of that building one would require like a lot more like material that's in this solar system so we would have to have interstellar travel to do this what for an alderson disc or for a mega structure yeah, an alderson disc because they're like thousands of miles thick well yeah it's like the least and <laughs> it's like the least material efficient energy efficient <laughs> way of doing that one of their one of the major things about them is like does the it look inner... like a sunny side up egg <laughs> kind of the inside of the <laughs> ring it was is like uninhabitable because it's too hot, and the outside of the ring is uninhabitable. So it's I don't know why you would just cold. make the ring narrower. <laughs> like how about you just make it only cover the habitable? If you're gonna do this insane idea, make it only cover the habitable zone. <laughs> or better yet, let's not do this idea. <laughs> yet, let's not do this. It's like permit. It doesn't have day night cycles either. If anybody out there knows why this is a good idea please stop <laughs> i can't find i couldn't find anything about why this is a good nobody's idea nobody's willing to go to bat for the alderson cylinder uh, alderson platter disc. Alderson disc. <laughs> alderson you said disc. cylinder because cylinders are same shapes to make with mega structures because <laughs> a cylinder is a useful thing to make something shaped at least you can <laughs> spin that and get gravity <laughs> alderson's like but what if we put people on the outside <laughs> The, Everyone's like, Alderson, stop smoking weed. <laughs> Alderson. Oh, God, he's moved on from weed. Yeah, Alderson, so put down the crack now. pipe and chill. <laughs> We're going to stop inviting you. <laughs> Why does O'Neill keep bringing you? 
It's like at the mega structure conference, they're all like, oh, fuck, Alderson's here. <laughs> <laughs> no, they got contact. No, Neil's like, come on, man. We've known him since we were kids. Just like humor him. <laughs> hey, guys, can you just come on, chill? Um, <laughs> oh, another pop. Hilarious. Uh, another obvious pop culture reference to mega structures is Halo. Oh, duh. <laughs> I guess that technically is an O'Neill cylinder, too. No, it's a ring it's world. Very skinny. I swear it's, well, it's a type of cylinder. It's, it's a, a very, very skinny, skinny cylinder. one. <laughs> it's a very short, short cylinder. If ring, no. Actually, it's short and fat. O'Neill cylinders are a specific thing, and it's not ring worlds. It's true. O'Neill cylinder. Oh, my God. <laughs> By the way, it's Dan Alderson. So if you want to make fun of anyone, it's Dan Alderson. His name is, oh, damn. I thought you said Stan. Yo, Stan da- made sense yo, to me. Yo, Dan Alderson worked at JPL. Damn. We're kind of brutally mocking a guy that we did JPL. <laughs> and by the way, as a scientist, not like a jam there at JPL. <laughs> Which was my assumption. He thinks he's like the a beautiful mind of JPL and he's actually just <laughs> <laughs> He really is just the janitor. Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh man, we didn't say this because no he's ever going to listen to this. But it's like. <laughs> what if Alderson <laughs> listens to this here? Brutally rips us apart on Twitter. No, seriously. We'll have to go underground at that point. <laughs> I would have to I'm change never going my on name. the internet again if Dan Alderson takes us apart. <laughs> Please, Dan Alderson, have mercy. <laughs> He's like trying. He's trying to be a scientist, but he's like, so like, how do I get you know from th- from here with my bucket to in there with scientists? They're like, hey man, how about you come up with a new theory for a, a mega structure? And he's like, I got you. <laughs> what if we take a frisbee, punch a hole in it, and put it around the sun? <laughs> my dog loves this. It's called frisbee ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, Alderson's. <laughs> fuck Alderson's. <laughs> I meant to say Alderson disc, but I started laughing and I couldn't get it out. <laughs> That's why I go against the man himself. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's probably a really legit and good and thoughtful like explanation for why this is a good idea, and we just <laughs> can't find it. It's either that, or it's like, I need to make something totally... Because like, he, he apparently has written some science fiction. Okay. Um... I gotta spend some time with Alderson and figure out what's going on there. <laughs> I gotta, gotta research. Oh my god, he wrote the software used to navigate Voyagers 1 and 2. Damn. Has anyone oh, checked no. up on those? Oh no, hold on. He ha- okay, hold on. He hasn't actually... Yes, CC. They come up all the time. What do you mean? I know. I know. I know they do. I thought you were like, I don't, I've never heard of Voyagers yeah, 1 and 2. Yeah, and they're out of the it. solar system, so... <laughs> Great job, Dan. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, hold on. Uh, no, he actually, he didn't actually write it, but he... This is the rest of the episode, folks. <laughs> I was just talking about Dan Alderson. Uh, he did, like, he's kind of put, talked around about it, but he's never, like, actually written it, apparently. I, I misread. So, unfortunately, we're oh. not, we are not going to be able to... He's not yet a published author who has written a story about his Alderson's platter... Disc. Disc. I don't know why I can't remember what it's called. Because <laughs> it's ridiculous. Your, your brain says, well, that's clearly garbage, and throws it out. The only thing I can think of is if it's, like, flipping over, like, a pancake, but then it's only, like, half of each side you can use. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's still a lot of space, but, like, the it's the same thing but as But it's cutting, such a waste of materials. It's the same thing about, like, cutting out the inside and outside so you get into the habitable <laughs> well, zone. It's like... I mean, I guess that... I, I assume that's, like, a stability thing, why it's that big. 
I assume it's because he wanted it that big. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Apparently, like, the theory is it goes out to, like, Mars or Jupiter. What? Like, the outer perimeter is Mars or Jupiter. Okay, first of all, that's a very wide difference. Fair. I'm pretty sure. Second of all, they I do, don't... They are adjacent, if that makes you feel any better. They're that's next such to an outrageous amount of space. Why would anyone need that? I mean, but same goes for the Topopolis, I guess, but apparently that was just Annex hobby. No, no, no. If you don't have if you don't have interstellar travel. Like, not having interstellar travel makes a megastructure make a lot of sense. True, but apparently you would need it to make... To make an Alderson <laughs> disc. Alderson disc. Okay, yes. But, like, the Topopolis, no. <clears throat> well, the Topopolis, the Topopolis is good bang for its buck, because apparently they just ate one planet. We could just toss Venus. I mean, yeah, no one's, anyway. no one's using it. And no one ever will. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a bad planet for bad people. <laughs> if, okay, if we start colonizing other planets, Venus is going to be the Australia. And, like, no shade on Australia. I just mean that it is like, a very hostile place that we're going to throw our worst people. And, I'm so like, terrified about what's going to come out. Become, like, God knows what Venusians will be like in the future. <laughs> They're going to be terrifying people. <laughs> they will rule the solar system. <laughs> Nobody's going to be making fun of them for coming from the planet named after the goddess of love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a bunch of really just ripped and just destroying people with, like, heart tattoos everywhere. <laughs> I'm all for it, honestly. I'm actually kind of about this now. <laughs> well, I'm pretty on board. Okay, um, so, now that we've... Spent, uh, uh, now, that we, now that we've gone on our Alderson tear... You, the one other megastructure I did want to talk about, hmm. uh, just, like, real quick, is a, a stellar engine... And the concept here, there are two types, like stationary and non-stationary, basically. Um, and Dyson Spheres kind of fall into the non-stationary category. But stellar yeah. engines essentially are, you know, some manner of ring world or something that goes around a, uh, a star. Mm. And then it, by some mechanism, probably magnetism, takes the star... And, like, forces a vent out of it and uses it as propulsion. Forces a what out of it? Like a vent. Like a like a massive <clears throat> solar flare. <laughs> that is, like, that is such a wild concept. And, like, I, I, I can understand how that's possible in theory. But, like, picturing it is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, you're sitting here like, this is a star. One of the most powerful like things in nature and i'm just gonna go ahead and take some of my big magnets and rip a hole, in a hole in it and use it as my engine Whee! like a balloon <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is um maybe that's what alderson was thinking of maybe that's how his platter works you said platter once and it stuck in my head <laughs> <laughs> Alderson is platter. <laughs> it's like, are you talking about Alderson disc? Or like, you really hate when he brings his platter of miscellaneous things to Thanksgiving every year. <laughs> Alderson, no one likes Brussels sprouts. 
<laughs> it's not true. I fucking love Brussels And they sprouts. really hate when they're cut into discs like this. What the hell? Did <laughs> <laughs> you stop trying to force this on us? No one wants an Alderson mm, disc. Cool. Sliced carrots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. You put little holes in the middle of them. Wow. Oh, I see what you're doing. That's <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> and little, little cheese balls <laughs> for the sun. <laughs> cheese balls in the center of the carrots. And he's like, eh? Eh? <laughs> He's like, and this little this little part right here that I chiseled out, this is the vent being used to move between solar systems. Like, dude. <laughs> okay. You got too much time, Alderson. <laughs> Alderson's working home has been How's a that sci-fi novel working going? <laughs> person in tears. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. I he's so much smarter I... than us, though. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> but he's so much smarter than us. <laughs> I went to, like, see an email in our inbox. It's, like, from at alderson.com. And it's, like, hey, I'm here to talk to you about my Alderson disc. <laughs> Please. I want to know. That, I want to know. There must I will be give him something. the benefit of the doubt that it makes sense given something that we're missing. Right, but the Wikipedia article for this, this obscure megastructure is not well fleshed out. Surprise, Damn it, Wikipedia. Surprise. And they're asking for donations. How dare they? <laughs> I, I So here's the thing. I find that with megastructures, every megastructure, like various theoretical design, has a specific thing it's trying to fix. So, like, you know, Dyson spheres yeah. are like, we want insane amounts of energy. That makes sense. And, like, you know, Ring World is just like, let's get maximum usable space and also not have to figure out artificial gravity. Yeah. So, like, a lot of them have these specific things. Uh, stellar engines. I want to move the, use the star to move between solar systems. It's basically right. the ultimate. I want to take, take everybody with me. <laughs> it's the ultimate generation ship. Oh, for sure. So, like, I, I don't know what it is. I'm racking my brain. I can't figure out what it is. But I'm sure the Alderson disc is meant to, like, fix some random There's obscure There's a specific issue. objective for why you would do it that way. Right. And I'm fascinated to know what it is. Yes. But I can't figure it out right now, so therefore I will mock it. <laughs> we don't understand it, so we're going to mock it. That's, that's what we do. Because we're Americans. On the internet. Americans on the internet fear our power. <laughs> I don't understand that, so therefore it's dumb and I hate it. And you're dumb for thinking about it. Dan Alderson of JPL, without whom Voyager would not have been possible. <laughs> you literally wrote the navigation program. It's probably Voyager. like friends with Carl Sagan. <laughs> yeah. Carl Sagan's gonna be like, I heard about this podcast that ripped you apart. Do you want to go like beat them up or something? No, he's super dead. Well, that's fair. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank God we're we cannot afford to bring down the Sagan heat on us. <laughs> we're safe from Sagan. <laughs> How bad have things gotten that our sci-fi yeah. podcast is like? <laughs> Mark, fa- I'm gonna go on Facebook and mark myself safe from Sagan. <laughs> Okay, should we talk about this book some more? Literally anything else, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess to rewind a little bit, um, we were talking about uh, the whole paperclip problem thing and how Anik was tasked with protecting the Quinlans. Um, so, like, on a similar topic, I thought it was an interesting contrast between, like, the isolationism of the Starfleet folks and their, like, their whole... Um, uh, prime directive obsession versus like 
so we have the Skippies and their thing is, well, we don't need humanity. Like we're our own thing. We don't really need to be beholden to them. They're holding us back anyway. Um, but because they needed something from the Quidlins and from Anik, they were like, here you go. Quidlins like have equivalent technology to humanity. And like, I don't know if that was a sort of lack of, um, like an absence of considering themselves in the same faction as humanity. Cause like they gave, they gave technology to the path, but I can also sort of understand why. Cause the path were like, they're like a refugee society. Like they probably would have been okay on their new planet without help, but like they kind of needed help. And like, it was impossible for them to not know what happened. So it's not like you could have just left them in isolation actually. And there was a sense of guilt from the Bob that they couldn't prevent the destruction. Of totally. The Totally, totally. But it's like, the Quinlins were kind of assholes. <laughs> they they failed to keep themselves safe. And now you're giving them access to as many resources and as much power as humanity. And also, they've got this super intelligence on their hands, too. Who, like, hopefully will help them, um manage that stuff but so far has helped them manage their own power by like regressing them socially so um it's a little i I, it's like two sort of complete opposite sides of the spectrums especially considering the skippies and the um starfleet were kind of like loosely affiliated early on one thing i think is interesting is that so and we can come back to annex prime directive Mm -hmm. lowercase pt yeah, <laughs> yeah. That the is for like the save. He's the savior of the Quinlans, right? Mm. He has got to protect the Quinlans at all costs. And the Bobs gave the technology to Anik. I predict that Anik will only allow Quinlans like theoretical access to stuff that can't be used to develop weapons or not easily. Because the fact of the matter is. If the Quinlans tried to fight with the, like with humanity, they'd be facing humanity, the Bobs, and then realistically, if they're going to fight with humanity, they're also going to fight with the Path, and so then they're fighting the Path. So like that is a three front war that they would lose. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I like given where the Path have gone with their conspiracy theories and stuff. I kind of feel like the Path would be like, eh, let it ride. No, I like, think the. Do you guys want to trade? I think the Quinlans would be belligerent <laughs> with the Path too, though. Mm. The, and the path, yeah. while they have conspiracy theories, are a deeply, you know, give and take, like, fi- economic species. And I think they'd very quickly do the math on, well... If we're going to be in this universe with one other species. Right, I'd rather be the people that at least try to talk to me first. Right. Yeah, you know, and don't fight you for looking in the uh, in the cart, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I do think that Anik will probably either gradually introduce the technology or will not allow access to like weapons technology or will require that he is involved in whatever, you know, technological like research happens or he'll always have the override kind of, yeah, he'll always have a kill of a kill switch, whatever. Maybe. Yeah. That is kind of interesting because there's this moment at the end of the book where, um, Anik is like, anyway, everybody, I'm an artificial intelligence and I've been sort of running this show and now I don't have to do that anymore. And, and, uh, we're, we're going to move on to the next stage of our society, but you're right. That is prime directive hasn't gone away. And like, if the Quidlins do the same thing again, he'll probably 
also do the same thing again. <laughs> I'm not sure he'll go to such extreme really measures. I hadn't thought about it. Because he, he went to such extreme measures because they were all isolated to one solar system. So, like, once the Quintons are in more than one, you know, breadbasket or so, so to speak. That's I, true. I think he might not go to that extreme, but, like, especially if one solar system managed to eliminate each other, like, Anik's going to come on that, down on that hard, you're right. But I wonder if the, they will be more interested in fighting each other than others. Or if it will be, like, a um, united in the face of a common enemy situation. I mean, I, I don't know that we know enough about the Quinlans to say, but I could see it. I could see both, kind of. Yeah, I mean... Because if it's, like, kind of a competition, like, a competitiveness, then I could definitely see it being, like, no, like, my faction is going to be the most important in, like, this interstellar society that we've now entered, and that sort of a thing. Yeah, I mean, Maybe I guess the hope fighting. would be, A, that the uh, that Annex plans to, like, breed out aggressiveness have borne enough fruits already. Or that would be, the hope. be that uh, their aggressive, like their competitiveness, perhaps could be focused on more non-damaging pursuits. Like if they are they focused on competing each other, like for, the space race, <laughs> yeah, or like compete financially or something, yeah, or just like for you know nondescript power, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I also think there's a chance that having other intelligent species in the area could vastly change Quinlan behavior in that the Quinlans would rather fight with someone that's not Quinlan. Like, it could force a certain level of unity from the Quinlans, which could be good or bad. Probably bad. Probably almost humans. certainly bad. <laughs> and for the Pav. But, I mean, maybe good for Quinlans. <laughs> good, good for Quinlan, bad for Pav. But it's like, it, that That kind of comes down to this core, core issue that's existed from the first book, Bob book, which is like, Bob and his progeny are making these decisions that affect literally the entire human race and there's kind of nobody who can tell them no so i kind of get where humanity's coming from just being like okay we're breaking up with you basically like <laughs> i don't think that it's smart i think it's really short-sighted but i can see them being like a little bit done with bob i can certainly Granted, appreciate a lot of those decisions saved humanity from several threats internal and ex external Yes, but, yes, that's true. But it's like this one dude and a bunch of other versions of this one dude calling all the shots just because of, like, a, a power gap. I can appreciate the wanting to separate, like, their economy and such from them. Yeah. But obviously they went to an extreme. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it would be a very strenuous relationship, you know, that you're interacting with. Not necessarily super intelligent, but, like... <clears throat> you know, what did they call them? High-speed intelligences? I'm not sure. I can't recall. I believe that was the phrase that Hugh applied to them, saying that they're super high-speed intelligences, but they're not AI. Which is why they were trying yeah. to develop an artificial intelligence in the first place. <clears throat> they're still limited by human liked, thinking. I've always liked about these books the way, um, uh, like, Bob sort of... Uh, as as he has reproduced has like split into all these different sort of facets of of bobness <clears throat> because like i don't know about you peter but i spend probably too much time thinking about like <laughs> things i also would have been happy doing in this life you know what i mean like other careers like other places to live oh, you mean your real like, life. in my real life yeah okay. like <clears throat> i like my i like my career a lot I, you know obviously i love my family I, I love you know my life but i 
I also think like, you know, maybe I like should have you know, gone to grad school. Maybe I, I could have like, you know, gone to school abroad or, or become like a coder or done all these different things that like also play on skill sets I have, but I never necessarily was able to nurture. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I think about that a lot. And so I feel like that's sort of one of the best things about being a replicant is that, I mean, while you don't personally get to experience it, you get to see what happens if. So like the parts of Bob and like the different versions of Bob who are interested in AI might not necessarily be Skippy's working on the Matryoshka brain, but they can like keep an eye on that and say like, oh, wow, cool. Like, in a sense, I came up with that. Like, we came up with that. It must be like a gratifying society to be a part of. <clears throat> yeah, and it it's idyllic until a certain point, and, right? Right, yeah. So I I thought that it was a good way of handling a potential weakness of this story model to have this concept of replicative shifting and drifting. Um, did you sorry, did you uh, say <laughs> that because you forgot drift was the word? Uh, no, it's actually because uh, that's how people talk about influenza uh, not replicative antigenic shift and antigenic drift um uh, i mean do i have to go down that road i don't know if i should but basically the the point is that the influenza virus has a fragmented uh genome so if two influenza viruses infect the same cell then they can swap like pieces and then there will come out new versions of influenza and that's called antigenic shift versus um if they just like mutate in the way that viruses mutate and just like change, but still keep the same like base genes. That's it. Um, antigenic drifting. So that's why, that's why so I get the drift shift. Drift is definitely the proper, uh, like in, you know, as far as like viruses are concerned. In in the in this book, drift was probably the correct usage. Yes, I think so. Um, although you know, maybe there was a shift. N- not obviously in the same technical sense as the flu, but in the same like effective sense. <clears throat> um, because I thought it was interesting that, like, they're computers, <clears throat> but they haven't kept track of genealogy. Like, that at some point, people stopped keeping track of genealogy, and I'm like, how, how, how? Right, it seems like you would literally? almost passively do it. Yeah, like, not even like you would have encoded for it, but that there would be traceability automatically by the nature of the technology. I find it so strange that they don't have that. Yeah. Although, were they saying that, that the Starfleet, like, erased it? Or is it just not there? They're like, oh, yeah, I haven't talked to anybody who, like, claims parenthood over them. Well, it seems like Starfleet made an effort to erase anything about them. But also, that Bob's in general just don't track that. Yeah, they just don't pay attention. Like, there was even an like, interaction You, you kind of know who your kids are, but <laughs> no, not their grandkids. Maybe their grandkids, but not you're not your great-grandkids. Was it Bill and Gandalf that Gandalf was like, yeah, I'm one of yours. Like, it was, yeah. it's like, surprise. He's like, Bill's like, wait, what? Like, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it gets to the point where they're talking about 15, 20 generations that, like, yeah, at that point. And thousands and thousands of bombs. Right, it makes total sense that that wouldn't at least be, like, at the mind like in the present mind of all bobs but i do feel like there's weird that that's on a record somewhere yeah well because it's weird too because you they have your memories like any any progeny of for example bill remembers what it was like to be bill until bill split into like whoever um 
whoever their next relation was. So, like, I would think that in their code there would be, like, that sort of documentation. But I guess Bob's codes aren't available to each other. I for obvious reasons. Well, at least after the events of this book. Definitely. Yeah, before then, there was book. no reason to think that It was like a pretty utopian society before this. It was, you know, it was a post-scarcity, post-scarcity utopia. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I... Um, oh, shoot. I seem to have lost my thought. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. Anyway. So, uh, the concept of a soul... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like there's more to say about the Bobs. What did you say? I, just, I feel very strongly that there's more. I, we can go into the soul. I'll just keep thinking about this. It's going to bother me. I like, I, about what you forgot to say. I had a very significant thought that I was like, all right, cool, can't wait to say this. And then I forgot I mean, it. I, you can give it a minute if you want. No, 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 no let's move on. <laughs> um, the concept of a soul. I, well, I think you had more to say on this than I did, just because you had like looked into it a little bit. But I thought... um. I thought that their discussion of the soul was very interesting, especially because uh, the books had such a perspective on it before, like the very humanist perspective as Bob sort of kept referencing back to. And it's, it's like cool to see the replicant society grow in complexity with bringing in different literal people like Bridget and um, that professor, the megastructure professor um, and Anik for that matter too. Um, because you get these different perspectives. And I uh, I thought it was really interesting the way that Bridget specifically sort of squared her, like, religious background um, and, re- and religious present, re- religious beliefs with her identity as a replicant. And um, I thought she made a really good point, like, when she was talking about whether or not she would uh, would clone. A, oh, I think she made a couple good points about it. Because obviously, A, there is sort of a weird like pseudo expectation about her just being like the all girlfriend, which I cannot imagine would be a comfortable situation to be in. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think the Bobs were like, would have been like predatory about it, but probably hopeful in a way that would have been uncomfortable. Yes. Did you remember what you were going to say? I did. Or is this about this? Okay. Go. I, I, we can talk about other stuff first though. Write it down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Just real quick. I thought, uh, when you pointed out that Bob's remember everything that happened until they got cloned. Yeah. Imagine going through life and descending the hierarchy. Because every time there's a cloning, you wake up and as far as you're concerned, you're the previous person. Oh, but there's a mild yeah. difference and you remember being one tier higher, but now you're one tier lower. So like when, um, oh, who is it? Is it Phineas? Phineas and Ferb. And they're always talking about being pod and scum. Yeah. Yeah, imagine, like, being that. That's a good that. point. So, no. Because you remember being the most important yeah, Bob. You remember you being, being Bob. Bob. The Bob. One yeah. Bob. <laughs> you remember being alone and escaping Earth. Like, that is wild. What would that do to your psyche? I don't know. That's really interesting. I mean, maybe that's why we've got some, like, different... we got some, like, different weird Arrested Development things. Like, we've got the surly Star trek boys... I thought it was interesting, too, by the way, with the backdrop of Starfleet. At the same time, Will is like, I'm going to walk away from that persona. Like, early on, he kind of, like, true. indulged that Trekkie <laughs> self. And now he's like, eh. I'm going to distance myself from, <laughs> from Riker. I mean, he went by Riker yeah, for like, years. 
For years, yeah. And then he just, like, was like, I don't think that's what I want anymore. And I don't think it was necessarily, like, at the same time. I, I mean, because he started doing it, I think, even in the third book. Yeah, like, he started going by will at some point. Like, officially speaking. Um, where he would, like, actually kind of say, like, nah, don't really call me Riker. Um, but he's, like, deep in that now by this book. He's straight and up then, mountain man. Yeah, like, he, he is, like, super grown and moved on. And then we've got, like, these... Um, Starfleet people who are like still very deep within that fiction and like even basically cosplaying and then at the same time you have the gamers who are like literally using their eternal life to to do um LARPing essentially <laughs> yeah honestly <laughs> Which, though, like, that's sick sounds pretty awesome no pretty awesome I'm not gonna lie <laughs> like not the worst way to spend your eternity at least for a while yeah at least visit it's been like, a decent amount of my eternity yeah, like doing will. that or I'm not uh, right will. exactly yeah, like, that uh, yeah, seems like, like a fun thing to have access to. Yeah, but, yeah, you're totally right. I, I didn't, hadn't thought about that. I wonder if it's... But it's funny, because I was getting at Bridget's um, perspective about, like, imagine waking up and realizing that you are not the Bridget who gets to keep your family. And, like, that is just entirely too devastating. I mean, yeah, that's a specific case, you're right, that we're, like, she has the children and such, and she knows she wouldn't be able to share them with her. And... Yeah, and understandably. Right, that's fair. Yeah. You can't just have, like, infinite moms and <laughs> infinite wives. The all mom. And especially given... Yeah, the all mom. Especially given the replicative drift thing again. That's true. Who knows what that... Like, what would be slightly different than your Bridget? But how much would she have to change to not want our family anymore? Interesting. I do wonder if the whole uh, thing just with, like, descending hierarchy is kind of why these groups developed... Because they felt an innate need to, like, find their own things where they could be the top in. Like, Gandalf went and started the gamer group. Yeah. And, like, Gan- now Gandalf is kind of the de facto leader of the gamer group. Yeah. No, that's a that's probably totally true. Where he's like, yeah, I feel like all the good engineering ideas are already taken. So we're going to go into our hobby instead. Right. Yeah, you guys got this. Um. Yeah, that's really funny. So... Let's see. I thought it was interesting that um, the new, like, replicant society has kind of such a capitalist bent. (laughs) You, like, pay for different features and things like that. Uh, You mean, like, the human replicant society? Yeah, the non-Bob replicant society. Yeah, that is weird. It's also, like, imagine your universe, like, your world being based on how much money you made in your life. And it's like, well, it's very, like, ancient Egyptian. It's like, well, if you didn't oh, it totally have is. enough money, you're totally right. Uh, then you can't have a cool after. Like, what does that even mean? Does it mean your VR is more limited? Does that mean you're like not online as often? Like, do you have like eight hours a day you get to be online, but like, you, and you have a cool VR, but like, it's only eight hours a day? Like, how does that work? Or like, you can or can't frame Jack? Oh yeah, that's like, interesting. Limits to your processing power. I yeah. Whether or not I'm you have, like, man. A, a, you know, a butler. Like, whether or not you have your butler or, or your spike analog. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're totally right, too, because especially if you're not somebody who believes in a soul or, like, a, a natural afterlife, then you are, because you did not make enough money, locked out of that. Yeah, although it seems like opportunities exist for those people to continue to make money. Uh, I guess that's true. I'm yes, assuming the professor is paid for, you know, teaching although it seems like he's teaching because he wants to teach yeah it's just his thing 
I thought that was an interesting debate. That was that was another thing that was kind of like pretty pretty outside of the core of the book, but um the idea that people are like he's taking like a job that people should have like how how much of this can happen where replicants just keep doing their jobs. I actually <laughs> Did you think of Professor Bins? Mm, I don't remember that. Professor Bins from Harry Potter? Oh, the history professor. Yeah, the ghost history and magic professor. <laughs> he just got up and kept teaching. <laughs> and I've always been like, funny. it's a real shame because like now they can't fire him and he's a bad teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Hogwarts is really in a bind about this. <laughs> I I do like that when the professor is like, well, the university stance is they'll f- hire someone else when a better candidate comes up and no one showed up yet. So it's like because there's no one more experienced. First of all, because he's got a weird niche. But also, more importantly, second of all, because he literally is still gathering experience and will soon be, like, hundreds of years old. <laughs> exactly. Especially if he was, like, relatively... Yeah. It occurs to me, how much money did he have? Because he was a professor at a university. That's true. Probably not a ton. So maybe being a replicant's actually not that expensive. I mean... Like you said, it's kind of like a post-scarcity society. I mean, I guess not necessarily for, like, human society. Not really for the humans. They're very much... Hinge- like, they get so mad because the bombs messed up with their economy. Like, they're very much a scarcity society. Or at least they tell themselves they are. Oh, by the way, we didn't even talk about how the, um... How currency is, is printer time. That's fascinating and totally what I think which should be it. I feel like I need to sit and think about, like, what that means. <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, like... It's like a new gold standard, for one thing. That's exactly true. And especially, like, the Bobs are working on this new fascinating printer technology, like, with tensor fields. That is very cool. Yeah. And that could, like, totally throw the human economy out of whack. So then the problem is, do the humans not upgrade their printers because it would throw their economy into chaos? Yeah. Well, that's that's up to the Fed, isn't it, Peter? <laughs> that well, yes, the Fed has got this covered. I just think it's really cool. All those planets have federal reserves, right? I think they should have a galactic federal reserve. They've got a pretty like interstellar government going on. Yeah, right. Exactly. They've, they've got it covered. I I think it's really funny because so you know I I have sold and I've done research into like pricing for three D models and such, and like how three D printed parts like val- their value works and such and setting prices. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is, like, the primary thing people use to drive their price when they're selling printed models is print time. Just straight up print time. Plastic, mm-hmm. in general, to someone that's selling a lot of stuff from a 3D printer, plastic is way much, like, not even a real issue compared to straight up print time. The printer is active, it can't be doing something else, and that is lost value. Yeah, that makes sense. So... It's just, it's funny to, like, know that right now, that is 100% how it works. Like, among the <laughs> 3D printing community. And obviously, we're not talking the same kind of 3D printers, to be clear. But, yeah. like, but, but, I mean, sort of our equivalent, in a sense. Right, it, it's the economy based off of manufacturing time that's most easily, <laughs> that one of us has personal experience with. <laughs> right. But that that is really interesting that there's already kind of an kind of an equivalent. And I think about this all the time. I'm like, uh, like okay, so money obviously was originally, or I guess not originally, but like most recently, linked to gold and the value of gold. And gold isn't innately valuable. Humans just treasure it. 
And this has always like been kind of weird to me to sort of wrap my head around. And yet it's also strange to wrap my head around the idea that we would actually base it on something truly useful like printer time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one that makes the most sense to me. Um, cause, no, it does. Especially because like... Like on paper, it just feels wrong. Right. Especially because what's gold's primary use? It's primary, It's best and primary use is as wiring. Yeah, as a conductor, right? Yeah, like... I mean, <laughs> motherboards and processors have lots of gold in them. Not relatively speaking. Don't go tear apart computers, but like... You know, on an individual... Please do not take your computer to cash for gold. <laughs> yeah, they, they will not accept it. <laughs> like on a large scale, a lot of gold goes into computer components because they're very good conductors. And, like, that's its best use, not on someone's finger. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, yeah, as, as you said, it's really not the most valuable thing. Like, platinum's worth more than gold. You mean like as a as a material? Yeah, like as a. It's not even like there are more things you can do with platinum. Well, it's that, and also it's more expensive than gold, like per ounce. Yeah, but is it because it's rarer? Is it because it's it's like more prized? Uh, it's there's lots of there's lots of things that could be driving that. It's rarer, and I believe, and also uh, it's just a very useful material. Yeah, but it's also used in jewelry, just like gold. Right there, but there are lots of things that are like. More like if you ever look at like a what's the most expensive material list, gold is like not even on it. Like it's it's so not valuable compared to the rest of the universe. That is interesting. So I mean to be fair, we haven't been on the gold standard in eighty years. No, longer than that. I thought it was early twentieth century. No, was it at Jackson? Ooh, I think it was Jackson. So what mid eighteen hundreds? Uh, yeah, like. Yeah, mid-1800s. You're um, like, that's being generous. It was like 1820. <laughs> like, I don't... You think I know? <laughs> uh, fair. We gotta get Zave on the call. Yeah, right? Um, I was just internally debating whether that was pre- or post-Civil War, so <laughs> that's that's how not... I know it was Jackson, but I don't know when. <laughs> post, right? 1430? Oh, no. We were in a nation then? Okay. We didn't have presidents 14, in 1492? No? That's not it? <laughs> Columbus sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> and took us off the gold standard. And took us off the gold standard. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, anyway, we should um, we should wrap up, I guess. Uh, the only thing we didn't really talk about was um, the Quidlins and their uh, loss of sentience. And the more I think about it, I think it's kind of just like eyes. Like... In, in in animals that are in the dark that like maybe could have had eyes but don't anymore. You know what I mean? Where they have where they have like the really reduced ones or none at all. Right. They have no reason to have this eye. Like they either develop IR like vision or they don't really have eyes. Right. And I, I mean I think they kind of explain it in, in the book the explanation of just like brain like intelligence is very resource intensive and it costs a lot. And if you don't need it, then you can use that for other, like, more immediately survival promoting traits and skills and characteristics. So, I mean, I definitely thought it was an interesting, interesting thing. I mean, it's kind of like if you live a life of leisure. I mean, I wouldn't know. But <laughs> I can imagine that you would, like, sort of start to start to lose your edge. And, like, you, you kind of have to practice the skills that keep you sharp and like competent in various ways and this is just that happening on a species-wide scale 
Yeah, and the, I mean, what was the statistic? I think that's mentioned in the book, and it's pretty much on par with real life. Like, half caloric, half your caloric intake, it goes to your brain. Something Just like, like keeping that. the lights I, on is like a, a major uh, portion of what you eat every day. And I mean, again, brains are a lot more than like computational power and um, yes, and like sentience. They obviously control your uh, various organs and uh, your body <laughs> just in general <laughs> right they keep everything running as properly keep your heart ticking keep make sure you breathe and you don't check yes. about breathing there's lots of other things your brain does but like there a, a problem i would bet this knowing nothing about this probably like half of your brain's energy usage is for that stupid thing called sentience yeah i mean i wouldn't be or surprised like, I don't or just consciousness know. in general if you, if yeah. you want to call a difference between like sentience and consciousness like yeah just being conscious solving problems every day working th- you know thinking about things that are like looking at memes is probably like a high energy process for the brain <laughs> so stupid i mean look, it's just it, it's hilarious probably right that all yeah the worst part is i might be right <laughs> but yeah i mean you get tired from thinking a lot and solving problems right, a long day and... at work is draining yeah, even if you're sitting still the whole way. Yeah, and exactly. Like, I'll sit at my desk all It's day. for that reason. The hardest thing I do is, is type. And it's like, oh. Right. It just costs energy. Yeah. So, I, I thought that was an interesting thing. Like, at first I kind of wasn't buying it, but the more I thought about it, and, like, sort of the more the book talked about it, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I'm not sure if I buy the rate at which it's happening. Yeah, the rate was a little was, hard, to, like hard to swallow. It was, like, 150 years or something. Like, it wasn't that much time. Since Anik started the scattering? Since Anik took over like oh what oh maybe the three maybe it was like 300 it wasn't a thousand all i know years. is that that old that old broad was like the kids are getting dumber <laughs> yeah well that she saw in the generation I'm like, that's just a coincidence all grandparents think that kids are getting dumber <laughs> yeah but she was like a real smart one yeah that's true she was so cool. but like in, in one generation i mean there the deckhand thought that he's like yeah kids these days aren't so much interested in like you know thinking about things or like the way the world used to be or just talking like when he was like pleasantly surprised that bob was really talkative he's like yeah no kids these days don't really like to talk that much and it's like you know you're seeing a generational drop in intelligence yeah so much so that it almost seems deliberate but it's not right it's just like a side effect of what annex has been doing right yeah that's an unintended side effect because it's not necessarily like sentience in the first place isn't necessarily an issue it's the ability to war on a a large scale. Right, right. It's uh it's nuclear weapons largely. It's, it's nuclear problem. and biological weapons. And biological yeah, weapons, don't you, yes. Don't you biological know that's weapons. That I I wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> never. I would never ignore met. biological warfare. <laughs> I promise myself, not not again. <laughs> now everyone's into natural pandemics, so my only niche I have left is biological warfare. <laughs> For study and like, entertainment, I've been, guys. I've not, been talking about pandemics for years. <laughs> I I liked pandemics before they were cool, and now I hate them because they suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's it, Peter. Do you have other thoughts to share? Um, the discussions about souls actually have foundation in human quantum theory as it exists in the real world. Uh, yeah, that's right. We started to go towards Information that. theory is a thing and so is the like continuity information it's why black holes are like seem to fly in the face of quantum theory 
because as far as we can tell, they destroy information. Mm. Uh, I believe Hawking radiation was actually uh, theorized as a direct result of information theory. Hawking radiation being the radiation emitted by a black hole as it absorbs matter. So when you say information theory, what are you referring to? Uh, the Basically, there's a, um, a uh, an aspect of quantum mechanics which ha- is known as information theory. And it is, it's not like, you know, I'm not, I don't mean like IT or anything like that. I mean, like, there's an aspect of this <laughs> that is as fundamental to quantum mechanics as thermodynamics is to Newtonian mechanics. Okay. Like, it is the, the concept that information is not, like, create or destroy it's like basically that's not technically true but like that is basically a law or like information structures have to be unique which is what one of the explanations for replicative drift is that if you have two entities that are identical one of them will be forced to change and it's going to be the latter one apparently by the way the discussion with bob and hugh about that so fascinating yeah, that was really interesting. Like, talking about, like, yeah, it doesn't matter which one you turn on first. If you turn on the, the copy first and then turn on the original, the original shifts. I also like how Bridget got there in her own, like, down her own road. Her Bridget road and not the Bob road. You know what I mean? But they both came to the same conclusion. I think Bridget got there on her road because of her fundamental belief in a soul. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Like, you could take multiple paths to the same place. Right. I mean, the... If you... If you are someone that has a faith and most people that have faith are like, well, this is like this creator, you know, some way, whether it's like directly or kind of indirectly and like putting the things in motion is responsible for the world as I know it. And science is the trying to find a greater understanding of the world around you, the natural world. Yeah. It makes sense that if both like if, if, you know, religion is fundamentally maybe not in in a certain form is true is basically true and then eventually science will meet up with it so it seems like that's the stance that taylor is taking in this universe uh for one way one way or another some fundamental beliefs of religious groups are true so like the concept of a soul yeah and, then, and they can be explained in physical terms. Right. Eventually, once it's complicated and like understood enough, science can explain the concept of a soul. And that is that there has to be unique information throughout the universe. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of thinking about it, Peter. So it was I don't know, it was very cool. Uh I I think also from a like world mechanic, I think the idea of the teleportation is fascinating between Bob like Bob's between uh solar systems. Yeah. Obviously, there's not, like, a huge need for Bob's to It's not be. super necessary, right. yeah, but in, in a pinch. Do you ever think about if you were a Bob, like, I feel like I would have gathered up a bunch of material from my solar system, like, tons of ingots of all materials, and just went and set up shop in the interstellar medium. Like, I would just, like, mm-hmm. gone and built, like, a little, like, factory and, like, you know, like, build everything up I needed just, like, sitting there in the middle of nothing. Why? Security. I guess. Like that, but it's like being a hermit. Like, but, but yes, you can still see everybody. I don't know. I think it would feel that way, But though. Bobs don't physically interact at any level. 
I, I mean, guess that's true. Even but Will like, was talking about how he's like he's already on his way, and Manny's can be communicated with over Scott. So like, I know it's so weird. It kind of lowers the stakes though of like the the frontiersman bobs. I mean, I guess they have to build start building relays, so like you're not going to always be on Scott, but uh, yeah. But if you build them early enough, eventually you can be on be. Scott. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's true because they like build them and drop them as they go, right? They don't even like stop and build. Well, that's them, that's so. that was what um, Will Phineas, and Phineas right? and Ferb wanted to do. Yeah, like drop, rebuild them, or build them and stop. Like send out, you know, Bob equipped AMIs or Bob. Yeah, oh, I I like that they were doing an arc. By the way, I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, that was smart. Get out of that area, of the solar system. Yeah, I'm I. I I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming that Taylor's setting up a new trilogy and I'm curious how like the human politics are going to go because it seems like it seemed like he was like gearing up for some human politics showdowns. And I guess there was a little bit of that, but also then the Bobs kind of got kicked out of human life. So I'm like, are you going somewhere with this whole faith thing? Or, or was that the entire faith story? It's like, Oh yeah. Faith's getting like getting to be a big deal again. So all like the Johansons are outie. My theory is that the, uh, so obviously there's some sort of like ex- real existential threat. That's what the the Starfleet group is so uh, you know fearful of. Although I think one thing I think is interesting in this is that Starfleet, which like in Star Trek is kind of like you know has its flaws, but is mostly like an idyllic peacekeeping organization. Mm-hmm. And like in this, they are straight up and down the villains. They are very militant. They yeah. are very militant. They are like ag- they're aggressors. They are they. They want out, like they want what they want, and they will not stop. And they are very much the antagonist of the story. Yeah, that is true. That's not at all like Starfleet. Yeah, right. Like, there's very few instances of Star Trek where Starfleet is the villain. Yeah. So you think that they have they figured something out? Well, um, I think that's clearly implied, right? Bill's talking about how like they yeah, have true. a real deep seated fear of something they won't talk about. Yeah, but it's like, why won't they talk about it? Right, it must be bad, right? <laughs> like, either it must be bad or it doesn't exist. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm really excited to see what happens My next. theory is that this threat will come around, and the bobs will be like, can we just leave? Like, the humans don't want us here. Annex got his peeps covered. How about we just pull up stakes and hide in the air and stuff medium, maybe? And, uh... <laughs> they could do it. I mean, they could do it, right? Like, they could all get together and do it. Or don't get together and spread it out. <laughs> Better yet. <laughs> right. And the, you know, the humans will, like, have to get over their distrust and dislike of Bob's and ask for help or whatever. Like, that's my that's my theory about the next arc. Yeah, that makes sense. Seems like, seems like a pretty logical way to go. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I think we have discussed all the topics we wanted to discuss. That is true. I think we have. No, I don't think I have any uh, any final thoughts on the book. I, I thought it was really good. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, it got a lot of bad flack on the internet. Really? People and didn't I like it? see flaws in it. Like, it's not a perfect book by any means, but the, no. the Bob Verse as a whole isn't a, aren't perfect books. They're just highly enjoyable, kind of fun books. Yeah, they're just very fun. Yeah, yeah. they have plot holes for sure. Very fun, but with, like, some, some big thoughts put into. Right. Um, yeah, they are fun, but they also don't shy away from larger Substantial, issues. Substantial, yeah. Um... So, I don't know. I enjoy them. Although, to be fair, I read those reviews, like, back when it was a fairly early book. Um, I, sh- I didn't know this book was coming out. 
until mm. I saw an ad on Facebook, and I was like, Heaven's River. Oh, they got you. Does tail? Yeah, I was so mad about it. I'm still mad about it. <laughs> freaking got me. But I saw it, and I looked at it. I but looked the at it, important like, thing is you knew about it, Taylor, Peter. Huh? In the end. Like that, oh, yeah, I like his work. I looked at it closer. I was like, this is a Bob and That's a Bob That's book. A Bob <laughs> yeah, you could tell from the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like, like I was like in line at Dunkin' Donuts, and I looked at my phone, and I was like, oh, that Dancy Bob? Taylor. Wait a second. <laughs> oh, man, it was so bad. Is that you, Bob? I, I bought it so. on the spot and started listening to it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this book. If you did or you didn't, let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can reach us at... What is it? <laughs> you tell us, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you can, first of all, reach us at facebook.com for sci-fi sidebar. <laughs> I always forget what our emails are. Uh, you can contact us at uh, sci-fi sidebar at signifyingnothingnetwork.com. Uh, you can tweet at us at signothingnet. Uh, yeah, so we got that. Oh, we got the email address. We got the Facebook. I think that's it, right? Facebook, Twitter, email address. Yep, those are our Those things. are our three things that we have. <laughs> that should be enough. Perfect. One of those has got to work for you guys. Um, or if you're Alderson and you want to justify yourself. We will definitely retract all the mean things we said if you can explain why this is a good idea. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Uh, we would appreciate more information on that if you have it. But like... That was like 20 minutes of this hour and a half podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. It's it's so insane. <laughs> this is the rest of my night is going to be trying to figure that out. <laughs> really, though. Um. Anyway. So, as Peter mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we are going to do sort of like a anniversary special in the sense that we're going to break with sci-fi um, for January, but we're not going to do like a double release because let's be honest, you guys wouldn't believe us if we said that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so our next book is actually, it's a me pick. It's a sci- uh, excuse me, a fantasy book that I really, really like and I think is really interesting. Um, but Peter hasn't read it yet. So it will be a, a little bit different from past years where it's like a real classic. So we're going to read the uh, monster. Wait, the traitor Beru Cormorant. Monster came out <laughs> of where find... did that come from? Uh, that's the sequel. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> um, yeah, the traitor Beru Cormorant. Let me find the author. I didn't have that ready. Do 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 Meanwhile, but, that's gonna um, be releasing on dis- uh, about January. Fourth of twenty twenty one. We made it, guys. Almost. Is it four years? Three years. Three I can never tell. Famous. The author's name is Seth Dickinson. It's from the Masquerade trilogy. So I think it's great, and I'm really excited to read it again and hear Peter's thoughts on it and uh, share all those thoughts with you guys. So uh, read along with us, and we hope that everybody has a great holiday season, whatever it is you're, uh, whatever, however it is you're spending it, whatever it is you're celebrating. I hope that everyone celebrates at least a little bit at home. <laughs> With the blinds closing your mask on. No, you don't have to close the blinds. No, close the blinds. You don't want to look outside. <laughs> too depressing. <laughs> oh, there, no, there's lots to celebrate. We've got, we've got great vaccines on the way. I am very hopeful. Things will be better. Things will be better. Yeah. So that's, right. that's the whole I, I have confirmed, by the way, our first episode came out on January 12th, 2018. Okay, yeah, three years. Wow. Holy cow. That's awesome. Anyway, alrighty. Well, that uh, wraps us up. 
yeah all right well thank you guys so much for listening and thank you for all your patience and for not um i don't know what's toxic what, yeah what what would they do <laughs> <laughs> don't challenge them peter <laughs> don't don't provoke the them. nerds are powerful <laughs> nerds are so powerful i'm, um, I'm fully expecting alderson to like for punch us hope, down. well okay if they're here at the end of the episode then for not abandoning us and for sticking with us through our uh weird 2020 problems we've 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 discussed some ways to try to make our scheduling and planning better so hopefully that will all um come to fruition in the new yeah, year i mean overall so. it's just a lot of adjustment to like a pandemic you having your first child you moving into a house and that changing the dynamic too like a lot of things have changed for us this year and um and not for everyone but like a lot of specific things for well cca is actually the source of all of this huh hmm. yeah, i guess it's me so. I guess I'm the anyway problem. thank you for sticking with us scc and i discussed before Awkward. this we it looks like our numbers actually didn't drop that much which is wild yeah we're really grateful so thank you for I mean, hanging on I guess you guys have been on the backlog, and we appreciate it. <laughs> really, though, they've been on the back. Have you seen those numbers? No. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, a lot of really old episodes keep getting lessons. Oh, that's great. Anyway. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much again. This has been Sci-Fi Sci-Fi from the Sci-Fi Nothing Network. Tales told by idiots. <laughs>